This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. You know, everybody on the face of the earth since the beginning of time, the people as individuals have found themselves asking this question, what on earth am I here for? What is God's will for my life? Most of the time they think of things like, well, I hope to be able to go to school and finish. I hope to be able to go off to college and finish. I hope to get a good job. I hope to be married to the one that God has for me. And I hope to have children. And I hope to make a lot of money. And I hope to do a lot of enjoyable things. But if you know, if you ask them this question, well, after you've done all that and after you've accomplished all those things, then what? They usually look at you and say, well, I guess then I'll die. And that is the truth. It's appointed unto man, wants to die, and after this the judgment. So the wise thing for all of us to do, no matter what age we are, preferably it would start in your home with mom and dad as a child. They get you thinking this way. What is God's will for my life? How do I find it? How do I get started? What do I do? But many of us don't have that guidance from the very beginning. Some of us did. Some of us may not have. And it can delay you finding God's will for your life. But this is what I'm a big believer in. Every single day that you live, no matter how many times you mess up and have to start all over again, every day's new, every hour's new, Every minute's new. Every second's new. All we have to do is say, I'm choosing right now forward. Yes, I continue to mess up. But right now, I continue to be fresh with God because I want to know God's will for my life. So the title of this message is Knowing God's Will. Knowing God's Will. So number one, I'll be looking at different verses this morning. Knowing God's will will involve you with your concerns for people. The first one, God's will for your life concerns people. So you can't live an isolated life. Sometimes we do that trying to protect ourselves, but we cannot live an isolated life because God made us to be like Him, and God is relational. And so, number one, God's will for your life concerns people. Well, the most familiar verse in all of God's Word is John 3.16. And listen to what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, not just some, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, well, you just said a moment ago, that after we live our life, then comes the judgment of God. That's true. The truth is this. He says, will not perish, but have everlasting life. The truth is, our spirit and our soul is in our bodies, and we really don't perish. You don't perish, I don't perish. I was uh, in a funeral just uh, yesterday. A graveside service. A godly man went home to be with the Lord. But the truth is this, though his body was in the casket and his body will decay like yours will and like mine will, his spirit and his soul had already left his body when he died. And he's directly in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So therefore, he did not perish. His body goes into the grave, but his spirit and his soul went into heaven because absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so Jesus is stating truth here, of course. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, if that's true of all of mankind, God's will for your life concerns people. Not things, not organizations. We must be careful not to let things and organizations get ahead of the will of God. So if you want to know God's will, right off the bat, you have to realize God's will involves you with other people. Not things. You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. The funeral yesterday, there was no U-Haul behind the hearse because he could not take any of his things with him. And you know, even a corpse in a casket, if you lift the bottom half, and only the minister gets to see this type thing in the funeral director, if you lift the bottom half of the casket, the corpse is always barefoot. No need for socks, no need for shoes. And the truth is, they only have some underwear on. Why? Because the casket only shows from the chest up to the head. No need to waste clothes on a corpse. So listen, we can't concentrate on getting things in this life because we can't carry these things with us. And we can't get so involved in organizations that we don't fulfill God's perfect will for our life. Knowing God's will. But number two, God's will for your life not only involves people, but understanding people. Number two, God's will for your life involves understanding people. You say, I just don't understand people because, Chris, I don't understand me. Well, you know what? That's why I encourage us to read God's Word, because we do begin to understand God first. That helps us understand ourselves. That helps us understand people. If you do not have a basic understanding of people, you'll be afraid of them. It's just the way it is. Many people have fear of talking to people. If they see people, they'll walk out of their way so that they won't have to say anything and look at them in the face. They're afraid of people that they don't even know. You say, well, how do you overcome this fear of people? It's very simple. It's very simple. To overcome this fear of people, you must focus your attention on the person's basic need. You must say, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of them. I'm going to think about what is it that they need. Because when you discern that, then you can actually have a conversation with them and a relationship with them. But listen, if you're a child of God, the very first thing that should come to your mind with any relationship, any person, I wonder if they know the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for them. First and foremost, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. You and I are to so love people that the first thing we'd like to do is see where they are spiritually and then help them find a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And see, when that is your desire, you begin to understand people because you have a purpose. I want to lead them to Christ. You say, well, but what if they already know Christ? I want to encourage them in spiritual growth. If that is your motive and desire, my friend, listen, you'll find yourself understanding people because part of God's will for your life 
involves people. Part of God's will for your life involves you in understanding people. Now, I want you to think for a moment. If you were walking down the road here and you came across a neighborhood and it was in the evening and and as you were walking down the sidewalk, you looked up to the front of a house and you saw a family and friends gathered around a table and they were eating and having a good time. But then you noticed smoke coming up out of the back of that house. And then you looked a little closer and you could actually see flames coming up in the back of that house. Now, normally, if you were to look in front of that house and look through that window and see those people, you would say, you know what, they probably wouldn't like me. You know, I'm not going to get to know them. You'd have kind of a thought of fear of people. But when you see the smoke and when you see the flames and when it's obvious to you, they do not know their house is on fire. All of a sudden, you don't feel intimidated by them. You don't withhold from them. Matter of fact, you run to them. You knock on the door and you say, you must get out of your house quickly. Your house is on fire. And so they start piling out of the house and stand out on the sidewalk and watch their house burn down as the fire department comes. And they thank you for showing them what they did not know. Listen, if you get it in your mind, my life, it involves not getting rich, not being hemmed up and controlled by organizations, but I'm here for the purpose of being with people, for the purpose of leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's my motive, I get over my fears, I understand people, and I become a blessing, and I become someone God uses to lead people to Christ and help them grow. So you can know this, no matter who you are, God's will for your life involves understanding people. God's will for your life involves people, period. Listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Listen to this. This is one of the love chapters of the Bible. Listen to this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, as I said last Sunday, you and I have God's agape, sacrificial love, living in our spirit by the Holy Spirit. That is the perfect love. And if we're abiding in Him and letting Him control us, that perfect love, which is agape love, sacrificial love, it casts out fear. So to run to a family that you don't know because their house is on fire and you're not afraid to communicate with them because I've got to tell you this, it's because you love them. If you hated them, you would keep walking and hope that they burned up in the house. But instead, you love them enough because of being human, you love humanity, you say, I'm going to run towards them and tell them they're going to burn in the house if they don't get out. So you and I need to see this. Our main purpose on this earth, until God calls us home, involves people, and it involves understanding people, and our love in us comes from the Holy Spirit. The third thing is this. God's will for your life not only involves other people, of course, but more specifically, if you are a child of God, God's will for your life does involve other Christians. You say, what do you mean by Christian? People who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, as them, and they put all their trust in Him to save their soul 
and to make for them a home in heaven when they die. Christians, Christians, little Christ, as C.S. Lewis would say. It involves you with other Christians. You say, yeah, but sometimes I don't get along with other Christians. Let me tell you my stories. And we can sit down all day long, and you can tell me one hurt after another. But the Bible clearly says that we're to be with other Christians. The Bible tells us not to neglect other Christians. We need to encourage them in spiritual growth, and together we need to be trying to reach the lost for Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul, speaking to the church at Galatia, said this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That means everyone. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. First and foremost is our brothers and sisters in Christ. But right on the heels of that, together we should be leading this world to the Lord Jesus Christ before He calls us home. The fourth thing to remember in knowing God's will for your life, God's will for your life involves His reputation. Involves His reputation. Do you remember Nathan and the prophets? And do you remember Nathan's response to David's sin with Bathsheba? You remember? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he tried to cover up his sin by telling men in a military battle to pull back from her husband Uriah in the heat of the battle, pull back from him, and therefore he was killed by the enemy, but it was planned by David. So David was a murderer. So David committed adultery, he lied about it, and he arranged to have her husband Uriah killed. That's murder. So listen to what Nathan said to David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. Listen to what Nathan said to David. Nathan the prophet. To the king, this is what he said. He said, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You say, what does that mean? Prior to him committing adultery with Bathsheba, the people knew David as a man of God, Jehovah God. He worshipped him. He would sing his praises. He would speak of him. And the people had watched him over and over again win battles. Remember Goliath? It was David. With God working through him, he killed Goliath and cut his head off with his own sword. And the people cheered and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And they were making merry because they loved David. He was a man of God. And they watched God use him with their enemies. And now, David, you know, when things get really easy, you take it easy. You know, your zeal washes away when things become very easy. Now he's committed adultery. He's lying about it. And he even arranged the murder of her husband. The one who killed Goliath. It's becoming like Goliath now, arrogant and boastful. He's lost the humility of the shepherd boy that he was. And so, it damages the reputation of God. So in other words, if you tell others, I'm a Christian, I'm leading people to Christ, I'm helping other people grow spiritually, I'm affiliated with God's people in my daily living, 
And then you begin to do things like David did. They look at you. They think of what you've been saying about God all these years. And you damage the reputation of God in the minds of human beings. Ultimately, God's reputation cannot even be altered. It's perfect. But among humans, we can damage the reputation of God, and we need to always remember that. We need to always remember that. We are to encourage one another to stay above reproach. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, sin can start small and then get larger in our life, and then it begins to make us hard. It begins to make us critical. We lose the smile that used to be on our face when we were children. We now have a hardened heart that shows through a hardened countenance, that shows through even hard body language, hard relationships, and hard living from the inside out. So it's going to be hard to live that way and then talk about God during the week because it damages the reputation of God. The fifth thing is this, as we think about knowing God's will. Number five, God's will for your life will involve three types of Christians. Remember, God's will for us involves people, understanding people. God's will for us involves other Christians, and God's will for us involves uh, His reputation. Got to be careful not to damage His reputation by the way we are. And God's will for your life will involve three types of Christians. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about as I go through this. You will find in every local church these kinds of Christians. We see this in the church at Laodicea that you see in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Listen to this description. This is Jesus speaking. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said this about a local church. I love God. I love the people in this world that need Him. And I go everywhere telling. I love those who have believed, other Christians. But this is the truth. Some Christians are not pleasant to be around. They divide churches. They become legalists. They make our children afraid of them because of their being so stern. You've intersected with these people. But remember this. We're not supposed to be judgmental and critical. We're supposed to live in agape love. We're supposed to love them in spite of them. Because remember, we haven't always walked perfectly either, have we? As God's children, we haven't done so well. So, there are three types of Christians, according to this passage. There are cold Christians. This is the one who says in his heart, I have need of nothing. He finds the world and its system very attractive. But then there are hot Christians. 
The hot Christian is the one who observes growing Christians and says in his heart, his life is so different from mine, I'd better start doing something about it. When they see a positive difference, they rise to a new level in spiritual maturity as the Holy Spirit reveals to him his own need. And they're hot Christians. They're growing in the Lord. They're spending time in God's Word. They're applying the principles in God's Word to their life. And they're not damaging the reputation of God. They are a witness wherever they go. They move toward people that are lost because they love them first. And they know they have an answer. How do you get out of a burning house? You go tell them, get out, the house is burning. How do you get people out of hell and into heaven? Go lovingly tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a hot Christian. That's what they do. But then it also mentioned lukewarm Christians. It says they're neither hot nor cold. This is the one who says in his heart, he's closer to God than I am, but he does the same things I do, so there is no conviction and no difference. Listen to what God's Word says about lukewarm Christians. You see this in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, notice my people, who are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. Well, listen, if they're God's people, they're called by His name, why do they need to be humbled? Because they're lukewarm. They're struggling. They're, they're carnal Christians. They're double-minded in all their ways. And they never miss church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It seems to me like it needs to be on the streets where all the sin is. Listen, there's sin in the house of God too. Cold Christians, lukewarm Christians holding back what hot Christians are trying to accomplish, dragging it down by their own will and their own wishes. And he says, for the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? First Peter chapter four, verse 17. And then the sixth and last thing is this. If you're thinking about knowing God's will, you say, I want to know God's will. God's will for you, your life, involves building a life's message. Building a life's message. What is a life's message? It's when somebody thinks of you and they rehearse in their mind your story from the time you're a baby up to the present. That's called your testimony, your personal story. So here's the question. What is your personal story right now? What is your life's message if somebody were to just think and start talking, telling someone your life story? What would it be up to this point? Let me encourage you. If it's been bad, join with us because we all struggle. Any day, any hour, any minute, any second, you can start fresh until you die. Some people's greatest achievements are the last few years of their life. 
Never quit going forward. Winston Churchill used to do commencement speeches at colleges and universities. His shortest speech was this. He got out of his seat on the platform, he walked up to the lectern, and he said, Students, never, never, never quit. And then he turned and walked off. And I encouraged myself this morning, as I read that, because I have that on my desk at home, Winston Churchill, never, never, never quit. I encourage you, no matter what you've done, from the time you were a baby up to the present, you can start this very day, this very hour, this very minute, this very second to say, I want to know God's will for my life. And I know that's going to involve me with people. I know that's going to involve me with understanding people. I know that's going to involve me with other Christians. I know that's going to involve me being careful not to damage the reputation of God. I know that's going to involve me even with three types of Christians that are difficult to deal with. Those who are cold, praise God for those who are hot Christians, and then those who are lukewarm is going to involve me with them. And then... God's will for your life involves building a life's message. What you want people to remember about you when you pass away, just like the funeral I went to yesterday, a godly man, everybody had memories of him that were Christ-like and godly. He finished well and he was in his 80s. and They didn't need notes. He so inspired and impressed them that they spoke from their hearts and their memories about the goodness of the man. Even his children had good things to say. You say, well, God's will for your life involves building a life's message. You say, well, how do I do that? I want to start today, this hour, this second. Okay, I'm glad you told me you wanted to start, because I'm going to tell you how. The first thing you have to do is you have to think this way. Dying to myself. I can't just live for me. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He gave you to come to this earth for a purpose. You may not have walked in it yet. You may not know what God's will is for you. But listen, you're still alive. You're still breathing. Start today knowing the will of God. It involves you with people. Romans 6.11 says this. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome, he said, Likewise, you also, speaking to us too. It's in the Word of God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, this is how you should think. The Bible clearly says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we died with Him on the cross. So we're dead to sin and we're dead to this world. You say, yeah, that can't be true because everybody keeps sinning. True. But in the mind of God, when Christ died on the cross, He died one time for all. He saw not only our sin being crucified with Christ, He saw us being crucified with Him. That's why Paul says, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, because you died with Him. You were buried with Him in the mind of God, because He knows everything from beginning to end. And you were raised with Him on the third day. And so you need to say, if I will deny myself, I won't act on the impulses of sin. You say, yeah, but I'm trying to do that, but I can't stop. Listen, you have to rely on the indwelling Holy Spirit to keep you above the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just like an airplane has a motor 
that keeps it above gravity. You have the Holy Spirit in you that keeps you from being pulled down to the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you're tempted to do something wrong, you can say, I'm dead to that. And that is a true statement. You can say, I'm dead to that. I do not have to do that. I can choose to do it, but I don't have to do that. I'm dead to that because I was crucified with Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit within me will keep me above this particular sin. But you have to choose to die to self and say, no longer me, but Christ. You have to die to self. And then, not only die to yourself, as you build a life's message that people will remember about you, he was self-denying. He was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, become a living epistle. You become a living epistle. Your life is a letter for others to read. Your life may be the only sermon some people will ever hear. Your life may be the only Bible some will ever read just by listening to you, observing you. Something's different about him. I think I see Christ in him like a hand in a glove. It shows on the outside. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse two, Paul says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Listen, build a life's message. God's will for you involves building a life's message. Remember, children are watching you. Children are listening to what other people say about you. Get that in your mind and in your thought life in such a way that you hesitate to do wrong things. And you say, Holy Spirit, control me now. Carry me along like a kite. And then those children, nieces and nephews, uncles and aunts and grandparents, will begin to hear, not from you, how good you are. They'll begin to hear from others how good you are. And they'll be blessed, they'll be inspired, and they'll think, I wish I knew what he found out because his life makes me feel guilty. He's a hot Christian. I'm realizing I'm a lukewarm Christian. That's what begins to happen. And the work of the Holy Spirit begins to bring a spiritual revival in your family, maybe your local body of Christ, of, of believers. Your life is a living epistle. John chapter 15, verse 16. Listen to what Jesus said, last verse. Jesus said this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Listen, picture yourself as an orange tree in an orange grove. Are you bearing oranges or are you bearing prunes in an orange grove? Are you a cold Christian? Are you a non-believer at this point? What's coming off of your life? What fruit is being born out? Is it the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control? Which one is it? Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This is God's will. He has appointed me to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain in the memories of people. By what you do, what you put in place, even after you are physically dead 
and in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus at his right hand. Earth is still been touched by you because you were appointed by God to bear fruit and you did. Or the things you do now that's negative, will they keep lingering on? Your life's message be remembered by things that are not of God. Only you can do something about this. Nobody can do this for you. He says, you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Amen? That's knowing God's will. God's will for your life concerns people. They're all around you right now. God's will for your life involves understanding people. You learn that as you walk with Jesus. He teaches you and helps you understand people right where they are, right what they need. Knowing God's will for your life involves other Christians. Do not forsake the gathering of the brethren together. And yes, when you go to church and when you're with other Christians, you're going to bump into cold Christians, hot Christians, and lukewarm Christians. God's will for you, your life involves His reputation. What you do, what you say, it either helps people see the reputation of God or it damages the reputation of God. I think it was Mother Teresa that said, our speech either increases light or increases darkness. What comes from the heart, the mind, is what passes through the mouth, the tongue. And when we talk, it's either darkness or it's light. Knowing God's will for your life will involve Christians. Knowing God's will for your life involves building a life message. You're an epistle. You are a living letter. Don't damage the reputation of God. And remember, children, relatives, and friends hear about you when you don't even know they're talking. could be in another state or another part of the world. And that's affecting them either in a good way or a bad way. You say, I need to change. You could change today. This hour. This minute, this second, begin. I'm dead to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm alive in Christ Jesus. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Physically, I'm expiring. I can't take things with me, organizations with me. What I can take is the same thing Jesus took, souls to heaven. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.